Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Um, I am here today with a gentleman named Oren Kessler. Oren has a company called Wikistrat, which I've worked with previously, and it, it's a very interesting uh, company and product that they put out. Hey, Oren, how are you today? I'm fine, Brian. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, morning where I am, and uh, it must be early in the evening where you are? Correct. I'm based in Tel Aviv, and it's now uh, 6 p.m. over here. Oh, okay. But the okay. weather is beautiful. Mm. Yeah, it's it's reasonably nice where I am, uh, up in the Colorado Rockies, but it's a bit on the chilly side. That's one place I want to go one day to visit. Yeah, that's uh, it's really nice. We've got a little cabin on a lake, and it's a really nice place to be quarantined in. So, Warren, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education? So I'm, uh, I'm basically I'm 35 years old. I'm... Uh... I have been working at Wikistrat for the past almost 10 years. Um, started um, when I basically graduated from my first, uh, my first degree, my, uh, my undergrad degree, um, which I did in Israel. Um, and um, before that, I think that's what's the, the interesting part. I lived, um, I lived my life in Argentina, in Brazil. And in Israel, and um, I, I would say that most of the um, influence and most of the education I got is is a mixture between the South America education and the uh, uh, and the education system here in Israel. Um, I lived in Brazil from the ages of 14 until I was uh, about 19, and then I joined the Israeli uh, Israeli Defense Forces, um, where I served for about five years. Um, mm. um, for uh, yeah, a period of five years altogether, um, I was a, what you call a liaison officer, a civil liaison officer, uh, responsible for the humanitarian coordination of uh, all the international organization activity uh, in Gaza. Um, and that was my main responsibility for, for quite a long time. Um, and once I got out of the Army and I started my uh, my degree in international relations. Uh, the first job I got was at Wikistrat, and I and I never left. So I, I stayed uh, because it's uh, it's one of those jobs that when you love something, you stay you stay with it. Okay, no, that's great. I, I've always felt that people that go to college not straight out of high school come out with a different level of maturity, and uh, I would think that that would be this what you found that you wouldn't have been the same person in college if you went straight from high school 100 percent. i think um the main difference that i see uh, between myself and my um 
and people who, who graduated with me, um, because I studied in American school in Brazil. So when I was 19, 18, 19, basically, early 19, I joined the army and I went to university, to college. Um, and the difference was that they were really concentrated in the um, in achieving the academic achievements of uh, high grades and um, what's going on in class and how to study and uh, and get the best results out of it and then to do the internship in the summer and and secure the job um, and coming out of the army for me it was about the experience of the university uh, which was a completely different experience for me the class was the uh, it was, I mean, it was nice activity for me to go to. My grades were, were good, but I basically kind of participated in every single activity they could have, uh, they could have afforded in the university. Anything from the school newspaper, university's newspaper, to the radio, to media, um, to debate, Model UN, everything they had a club, I was joining and participating. Um, and that was, for me, the focus, uh, more about those kind of activities, kind of enjoying the enjoying the process, not looking at the final result of let's get good grades, a diploma, a good job, more about enjoying the time I'm in college because I had this time before that I understood this is my time to really enjoy this and uh, I did my um, third year uh, in Prague in a student exchange and that was definitely the, the peak of this kind of a, a philosophy of enjoying the, the road uh, and enjoying the process. Um, but also understanding that it's a very valuable, uh, valuable experience to have. Yeah, that's that's terrific, and I think Prague is one of the most intriguing cities in the world. Prague is beautiful. Um, I think um, for me, when I first heard about the possibility to go to Prague, um, and I heard about a place which was. Back in the day, I never, I never been there. I never been in Prague before, mm. and so I didn't know what to expect. But I have to admit that once I got there, I fell in love. I think it's one of the most beautiful cities in Europe, underrated for some reason. I don't know why. Um, which have also the best public transportation system, more than Germany. I mean, their mm. public transportation system is phenomenal, and I think that's what people really like about Prague as well. And it's like living in kind of a Disney World. Um, Kingdom in a way because of all the castles and all the uh, uh, and the rivers and the churches it's all kind of preserved and maintained really really well um, and there's also a lot of interesting history to the country anything from um, um, from uh, the medieval uh, history to modern history World War One World War Two um, a lot of philosophy Kafka obviously yeah uh, so there's a lot of interesting uh, interesting things there. And I really enjoyed uh, Prague and my time in Prague as well. Yeah, yeah, I would bet. I, I, I was only there as a tourist for uh, five or six days, but it was a fascinating visit. So Yeah, I strongly recommend Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, Oren, why don't you tell us a little bit about Wikistrat, uh, what Wikistrat does, uh, what, what you do with Wikistrat? So essentially, Wikistrat, we are a consulting firm, uh, and what specializes what we do is that our consulting services are based on crowdsourcing of experts. And the idea is quite simple. The idea is that we bring together a group of experts, being 10, 15, to, we also ran activities with 115, 200 participants, 
And we provide this group of experts with a framework which has uh, one online platform which allows them to engage and collaborate in quite an easy way, in quite an easy manner. Uh, two, we provide them with a specific tailor-made methodology for the task at hand. So basically, whatever it is that we're trying to achieve, we assign a methodology of crowdsourcing that we believe will be the best uh, oriented to what we're trying to achieve. And we also provide them with an envelope of, um, <clears throat> of a staff that provide them with guidance and assistance. And at the end of all of that, you also have a staff that basically uh, is able to synthesize the insights uh, generated from what this uh, group of experts generated uh, because there's a lot of content being generated. So they are able to kind of synthesize that. So at the end of the day, if I had to describe what we do, is essentially we bring the best brains and the, and the top experts and, and basically let them collaborate together via our online platform. That's what essentially I would say is the natural of what we do. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, obviously, a lot of work that goes into um, identifying and mapping the experts, uh, recruitment, um, the ability to, to um, uh, to create an activity that is engaging in a, such a way that we really uh, get the best out of it. Um, and we use a lot of methods such as uh, gamification methods. I mean, I think a lot of the people who participate in what we do, um, um, they tell us that they enjoy a lot. This is something I get a lot of, um, a lot of feedback about, is that it's a lot of fun uh, in the activities we do. Now, um, the company itself, um, was founded in 2010, so we've been around for 10 years. And our focus at the time when we, we were founded was geopolitical. That's why I, so, so if you look at my background, what I did and how I got to Wikistrat, for me, that was like a dream job. Essentially, it was the idea of running simulations, war games, um, ID, uh, ID generation for policy options uh, related to geopolitical aspects. Uh, uh, related to uh, strategic um, uh, aspects uh, in the field of security, social, uh, uh, economics, and so on. Um, over time, we received a lot of feedback from private sector companies that told us that this kind of technology, what we're doing, would be very beneficial for them um, to solve problems uh, and to also to kind of tackle challenges that they have. Um, from anything related to mining, uh, oil and gas, all the way to banking and insurance and uh, uh, also aspects related to pharmaceuticals. So we started slowly, slowly to uh, work more and more with the private sector on those kind of, uh, on those kind of activities, which um, over time became, I would say, 60 to 70% activity by now, uh, but the foundation and the DNA of the company uh, to this day is very geopolitical. If you, look, if you go to our website, um, a lot of people say, you know, this is, a, this is kind of a think tank, the uh, way it looks. It's, it's really geopolitical, you really deal with geopolitical, but that's about 30% of our activity. 70% of it is related to what we do with the private sector. Um, so that's because the roots and the um, and the DNA of the company started, uh, it really started there. The majority of the employees, that's the background they have as well, which is nice also way to look at, you know, people with different background that they can really uh, do different things um, and shift. I think that's a nice example for what we do. It's a nice example for that. 
So, Oren, what is the difference between a think tank and crowdsourcing? So the approach, first of all, is in the operation, an in-house approach, which essentially um, uh, you look into what you have in terms of resources in-house versus the crowdsourcing, which the the idea is it's whatever you can get uh, outside of uh, within the capacities that you have. So if I have a think tank and I have five or six experts on board, that's pretty much it. I've got those five and six experts and, and whatever they produce, that's what I have. Um, but if I have the same budget and I can use it for crowdsourcing, now my capacity is only limited by the, uh, by the capability that I have, the ability to bring those experts or the ability to, uh, to work with in a way that will be productive. So the first is, uh, is an operational difference, um, which essentially uh, gives you much more flexibility, like any outsourcing uh, um, activity does. And it gives you also the ability to explore a lot um, because it's um, if I have an in-house team, what I have is what I have. I mean, if, if I have five experts, six experts or experts on a certain topic, and I think that it would be nice to diversify that, I really can't because I can't bring now a new staff member just for that. But with outsourcing, uh, you can start diversifying um, the, the experts that you have on board. So one of the things that we do we have very diversified teams uh, from various disciplines, various geographies, backgrounds, experiences. Um, uh, and this is one of the benefits as well. Um, the other benefit is also in the uh, type of engagement. Uh, in an in-house team, a lot of time the work is done alone and then synthesized together um, via meetings or uh, general reports, etc. The way we do it is that the work is collaborative, hence the name Wikistrat, Wiki for a Wiki platform, which is like Wikipedia, where people participate together in editing the page, and Strat for strategy. Um, and the other difference, I would say, which is significant, is the ability to, and, and definitely now in the, in the age of, or I would say the time of, of such a, uh, an event like the coronavirus, is the operational flexibility to work from anywhere at any time from uh, wherever we want and choose to do so. Uh, our companies, for us, it's uh, almost in our DNA not to have uh, uh, a staff which is uh, essentially have to come to work on a regular basis, nine to five. My staff, um, they sign the clock as they wish. Uh, it's kind of like you, you come when you want, they work based on tasks because of the flexibility that we provide them, that we don't have to, we don't have, to have them come into the office with the exception of some uh, general meetings that we have. So there's a lot of differences on the operational. Uh, there's a lot of differences on the type of the work that is being conducted, um, and also difference in terms of the abilities that you have. Uh, now, an in-house have its own advantages, don't get me wrong, but Outsourcing and crowdsourcing of experts outsourcing is, is definitely uh, one that has its own advantages as well. Interesting. And, and how how do you, does your team have so much insight on all these different industries that you that you uh, host? It, it always seems like you guys know as much as as your participants. So the first thing we, we do is to understand that we don't, actually. And, and we acknowledge that we're not experts on the topic. We acknowledge that our expertise is crowdsourcing. 
our expertise is our ability to create what we call uh, crowd analysis or collaborative analysis. And by acknowledging that and not trying to study a topic from, from scratch every time, uh, you develop a set of um, procedures or you develop a set of, uh, I would say, um, uh, habits um, which you uh, need to follow every time you have an exercise. And the first one is you do a lot of research before mm -hmm. um, to understand who are the best people you're going to bring on board. Uh, what is the DNA of the crowd that we're going to bring on board? And we participate um, in a lot of those kind of discussions also with experts and ask them questions about that. Two, we also ask our clients a lot of questions about that. We, we're not assuming that it's a bad thing to, to um, engage the clients with questions. Some consultancies uh, that I've been in touch in the past told me that um, it's good to ask the client questions, but there's a limit that you don't want to, you don't want to make them feel that they do the work for you. Um, and for us, it's, it's almost like a partnership. We're, we're partnering success. So we really create this kind of relationship with the clients. Um, the third thing is we always try to bring on board one or two per, uh, per uh, um, activity, one or two top experts that we have identified <clears throat> that we uh, feel that have the level of expertise on the topic. And they provide that, and they provide that kind of an envelope. Um, and the third, the crowd is also the um, the crowd is also the judge in a way because the crowd provides us a lot of time with the um, with the ability to identify what's uh, um, what's the quality of something if it's if it's low. A lot of times, for example, in an activity, they will come in and uh, and say this is this is not plausible or this is not uh, something that can happen. And if five or six people say that. You, you immediately start to pay attention to. It's not a debate, it's already something that uh, a core group of experts is saying. So it really helps you to identify what's high quality and what's not, and also to the other way around. If five or six experts are telling you this is unique, this is special, this is interesting, you start paying attention to that as well. Um, and I think that's the, that's the power of the crowd in that respect, that it's really a great tool um, to help you run activities that you may not be an expert on, but they provide you with the ability um, and the judgment and also the, the supervision that you're looking for. And it's all by basically uh, managing the crowd and, and, and essentially engaging them as much as possible. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And, and we've spoken previously about the uh, importance of bringing in people from outside of your industry that maybe don't know the limitations or that they may have readily available solutions to what you're looking for or they're just not constrained by the thought silos that we often put ourselves into with the you know it's never been done so it won't be done kind of thinking exactly and, and a lot of times we have also um so we we a lot of time when we screen participants for these kind of activities we definitely screen them for their expertise for their level of knowledge for their professional experience um and, and their backgrounds but we also experience uh, we also um use screening before and during the exercise of participants um and experts that we feel are not they're just not fit to a collaborative nature of work. And it's so crucial to have people who have the mindset of, uh, of engaging with other people in a collaborative manner. Because if you have a person who might be the brightest expert in the room, but he's destructive to the process, 
your entire exercise will fail. Uh, and this is, a, this is an insight we have very early on that we brought some top experts that uh, we, we immediately understood they were destructive. And there's a way to engage them, which is on an individual basis, but not in a crowd basis. So this is also very important, the type of personality or the type of work uh, habit that the person have when we bring them on board is crucial for the success of every project we run. Um, and the other thing is we do try to diversify the crowd, um, but we also try to make sure that the level of quality of the expert we bring is very high because one of the things that um, I always say to, uh, uh, to participants and also to clients is if we bring low-level participants and put them with people who are high-level participants in terms of the experience, knowledge, etc., um, the high levels are not going to enjoy this, and they're going to um, they're not going to engage. But if you bring high level from various disciplines, or if you bring high levels to people together, and even if it's a small group of people, they're going to enjoy it quite a lot because there's going to be a learning experience, which is one of the other. Um, fundamental things that people who participate in our activities gain is one is the fun, but the fun is composed of the learning. It's, it's really a, a fascinating learning experience for a lot of people when they participate in those experiences. Yeah, and, and I would imagine that your expertise at orchestrating and conducting a crowdsource activity has uh, really been refined over the years, like you were talking about um, gaming type approaches and I, I would imagine that things like that have really been developing over the last few years. Absolutely, I mean for, for me when I started um, I, I, when I looked into simulation I came from the military and I came from the academia which is already quite a substantial experience um, because I had the privilege to participate in simulations in the army um, and also in preparing them, uh, but also the experience in academia to participate in, 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 uh, in those kind of activities. But then I started to work for Wikistrata, and my first understanding over the years kind of was there is no right or wrong in simulation. There is no, uh, uh, there is no one type of simulations, and there is what I would say is a simulation for me, another person for them, a simulation means something else. So over time, we understood that there's many ways uh, in which a simulation can take place, um, and there's many ways in which you can engage uh, experts. Um, the gamification aspect for me was also fascinating because when I started to hear about gamification, the first thing that came to mind was points, ranks, prizes, mm. um, and badges. Yeah. And over time, I understood that that's, I mean, that's nice, but when you're talking to a person with a high-level caliber experts in, uh, in, a certain, uh, uh, in a certain industry, I don't think he cares so much about the badge you're going to give him. Uh, and then my understanding was, okay, where does the gamification element apply here? And then the understanding was that gamification applies also in terms of the participants, meaning that if I play basketball and I play basketball with Michael Jordan versus playing basketball with a five-year-old, Obviously, the gamification aspect here is that I'd rather play with Michael Jordan. So the understanding that gamification is also about the participants and who they're participating with, mm. one. Yeah. Two, about setting very very clear guidelines and a very clear uh, set of frameworks. So when we play a game, we don't take notice of this, but the most important thing about the games are the rules of the game. 
Um, if you play in basketball, you have a clock, you have uh, you have the court, you have the three points, you have the two points, you have the free throw, and every element of this activity is already set by a set of rules and guidelines, and within that also a set of behaviors and etc. So engaging in a very clear set of, um, of framework, which is breaking down to the um, to the point of literally uh, uh, helping the participant as much as you can to engage them is a crucial aspect of gamification that a lot of time is being put aside. I mean, I see companies investing a lot of money in gamification elements such as ranking and points, but people don't understand how it works. And that's and that's the most fundamental thing when you when you want to engage someone, you need to explain to them how it works, especially when we deal with something which is quantitative, qualitative, and not just quantitative. Yeah, and, and uh, along those lines, I know when I play golf, if I'm out with a bunch of really poor golfers, I don't perform to the peak of my game. But if I'm playing with really good golfers, I I play a much better game. So by surrounding ourselves and in, in the crowdsourcing with really outstanding people it's much more likely that we're going to be pulled along in the same spirit that we're going to perform better because we're surrounded by such amazing individuals and also you have uh, um, the framework which is well so if I watch you playing golf and I don't know the rules of the game um, and I don't know how it works. This is not going to be interesting for me. I'm not going to enjoy it. Yeah. And definitely, I'm not going to even enjoy trying to play. But if I understand how it works and what you're trying to do every single move, once you have, it's I really get into it in five minutes because then I understand. Okay, this is this is the challenge, and this is what he's trying to do. And here's the mistake that he made. Here's the accomplishment he had, and so on. So no matter what the sport, the moment you understand how that sport works. Um, the sport become interesting just because of that. That you, you immediately understand a lot of sports that are fascinating for a lot of people, uh, for others are not just because they don't know how it works. And I, I had a, uh, an employee at Wikistrat who was a huge fan of cricket, which yeah. is the most popular sport in the world. People don't yeah. understand that. Like, yeah. The most popular sport in the world. And um, and he would be fascinated and explain to me how cricket works. And we only once I got explain and I understood how cricket work um, I never played cricket in my in my life I never I never yeah. had this experience yeah yeah it was becoming something interesting for me to watch no it, yeah no I, I lived in South Africa for several years so I got to know cricket and I tried to play it but it's a it's a difficult game it is. <laughs> yeah. It is, and, but um, but um, for me, it's fascinating. Once you learn the rules, he also told me about the different ways to cheat, which was, <laughs> which, was uh, which was very funny because he told me about different ways that they used to hold the ball or worm the ball and so on. And and, and it's funny because it's like a lot of um, like in, I'm a big basketball fan. Yeah. Um, and and. One of the things that I love the most seeing in a basketball game is people. Um, there's there's the concept of flopping, that somebody touch you and you try to pretend that it was an offensive foul. Yeah. So it's called flopping. You basically flop back. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of the most. Um, there used to be players that used to be master in it. Uh, Charles Barkley was very good in it, by the way. Mm. Um, so I always enjoy watching it and see a master flop or doing a master flop. 
uh, from Dennis Rodman doing a master flop on Karl Malone was one of the most iconic scenes of the Utah Jazz versus Chicago series. Um, you know, and Dennis Rodman was, he made a career out of it, out of flopping or out of playing into people's minds. So for me, that's fascinating. Uh, but you need to get into the game. You need to really get into it. Um, so the same thing, once you learn those little tricks, those little cheats, uh, and this is fun, this is the fun part. And this is how also in, um, uh, uh, I think in, in analysis, I don't think it's, it's so different than any other sport uh, or any other game. If you learn the rules, if you learn the framework, and if even if you learn the little cheats that you can have, what do you mean by cheat? For example, you, you can pass a point um, in a way that is um, unique uh, by bolding a, a letter or by adding an image. I mean, language has so many tricks in it, so many tricks we, we don't understand. But, I mean, people, once they, if they put attention to how much, um, how much different ways there is to write two or three uh, sentence emails, and the results will be ma massively different. That's all the little cheats that you have uh, with language, those little games that you can play. So the same thing applies. And just gamification in almost every aspect of analysis that you can you can do. The, the language that we choose, um, the, the, the language that we choose um, in terms of also the titles um, that we encourage. Um, we like to use titles that are from movies a lot of time. Um, hmm. Because we think that if you use that kind of a title, immediately gives you the mindset which is much more open and, and, and kind of relaxed versus an academic uh, heavy or professional heavy kind of a title which is um, much more serious. But if I use a title which is Back to the Future, mining in the, in the year 2035, for example, already the change is different versus uh, a trend analysis report and research on the factors that will impact the mining industry in 2035. Just the title of it is already a different mindset of the participant when you first walk into the exercise. And that's a, that's a gamification element uh, with, with use of language, for example. Yeah, that's, that's terrific. And I, I can't let your basketball um, story go by without mentioning there's a movie, a documentary called On the Map. It was directed by a guy named Danny Menken, and it told the story of the Maccabi Tel Aviv uh, European Championship, where, where Israel won the European Championship in 1977, and it was a, an amazing, amazing documentary, and probably even more amazing of a team. So, as Americans, we don't hear too much about Israel's basketball team, but they—you have a long history of uh, incredible basketball there. We do, and I watch. I was lucky enough to watch. Um, uh, Duncic playing um, in Tel Aviv uh, mm. just a few years ago, uh, and over—I mean, it was already um, back then, two years ago, yeah. But as a kid, seventeen years old kid, it was already um, so magical to watch him playing. Um, and and now we're watching him in, in Dallas doing the same thing, um, even better, <laughs> which yeah. is, which is only insane. Uh, and it's it's so magical to see it. I mean, um, for me, one of the things that I did in Brazil, I was in a basketball team, mm -hmm. um, and and kind of moving away from Wikis right back to the original question of my background. When I lived in Brazil, my my education was in an American school, and they had their own basketball team. But I played in uh, in a Jewish club, and the Jewish club was essentially me, 
that uh, was a player there, another player who was from the club, and 10 players who were basically, none of them was Jewish, and they were all basically from the surrounding uh, favelas or, or uh. other neighborhoods. And um, and there were all, um, there were obviously uh, elite players. Um, some of them actually um, went to Spain to play in the, in the Spanish league. Some of them became uh, professional basketball players in Brazil. Others went to the U.S. to play in Division One. Um, so it was a very very strong team. We 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 had a lot of fun. But for me, I wasn't at that level. So mm-hmm. at a very early age, I understood I'm not going to be a basketball player, which is on the one hand very disappointing. But on the other end, it opened the door for an opportunity, and that was to take uh, courses as a coach, as a basketball coach. And um, and I started to uh, to take basketball courses with my basketball coach at the time, and uh, we were lucky enough to take some courses with the um, the Olympic gold medalist, Rui uh, Maniano. He won the gold medal uh, with Argentina in the Olympics with Ginobili and other some of those famous players mm-hmm. uh, that played. And um, I can say for a fact that uh, taking those basketball uh, courses and doing those basketball training, for me, dealing today with crowdsourcing, just to show you how the connection is, uh, the things that impact you um, uh, in, your, in your life, the connection is phenomenal because those lessons that I learned there about how to build a drill, a basketball drill, Help yeah. me in the army in terms of how to build an operation and how to build uh, a simulation, which later helped me also in life about how to build a crowdsource exercise um, and, and various uh, tips about how to um, train people in in a in a time frame of, of two hours and how you don't start from five and five. You start with a two on one, two on three, three and two, and so on. And then you get to the five on five. How you kind of build this uh, to get to the peak of the training, and how you also end it at the end. And the understanding that there's a kind of a curve, a bell curve in the training, in an activity, in every activity. Those are things that I learned back then, um, which I'm applying today. And it's funny because I heard a Steve Jobs interview not so long ago. Um, and one of his graduation uh, speeches that he gave, he talked about how he took um, those Egyptian writing classes and the impact it had about how he'd helped him to design all of the Apple products. And that was one of those crucial things that he, taught, he studied and learned. Um, and he told the students, you never know what things you're going to do in life and how it's going to impact you down the road and what a massive impact they will have. So don't look down on things that you might do today. Um, as if they're just something to do for fun, that this could be something that literally will have a massive impact in your professional career or the personal one. Okay, well, that's terrific. That's terrific. Warren, I, I guess we're just about out of time. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? Anything uh, about Wikistrad? Maybe um, if people believe themselves to be qualified to uh, participate in one of your simulations do they just go to wikistrat.com or how do they find you absolutely so all you have to do is essentially um, go to our website in our website there is a function which is to become an analyst or, or to join us to our community and um, just subscribe there leave your your leave your email in your name uh, and your LinkedIn profile is the best way to do it and we'll be in contact with you already um, once we, we have some activity which is interesting. That's one. 
And two, um, there's a lot of interesting materials that we upload on, I think one of our, um, uh, one of our blogs right now is for uh, the coronavirus. We also have about uh, technologies and stuff like that. So uh, visit our site just to read some of the stuff we do. Uh, a lot of interesting insights. We really bring the top experts uh, to talk, which is fascinating. And the third thing I would say, uh, we're always looking for new ideas um, and new challenges, meaning that if you're a potential, uh, uh, if, you're, if you're a person who's working in a company or in a country and there's a big challenge that you, you would like to use uh, or try to use crowdsourcing to solve it, uh, we, we love that. Uh, bring us the biggest challenge there is and, and we'll go for it. That's, that's what we love to do. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. Then, how do your clients find you? What what makes you um, stand out from the other providers? And I don't know any other providers, but there must be some. So, how do how do your clients locate you? How do they select you? So, a lot of the client work that we we do is um, they came to us because they see some of the work we have done. Uh, publicly uh, via simulations and, and role-playing simulations and word games and ID generations. Um, so that's one. Two, um, a lot of the participants in activities that we do are high-level professionals in their own industry. Um, and they, um, at some point, um, they, they face a challenge where they say, you know what, We're, we need to bring some sort of an outside thinking here, um, which would be diverse, multidisciplinary, um, and, 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 and could be kind of really outside of the box in a way. And they immediately think of something they did with us in the past. And a lot of the work we do is, is from our participants in the past. They come back to us a year or two, even five years later, and they say, hey, uh, do you guys think you can help us with this kind of a situation or with this kind of a problem? Um, so our clients, um, this is how most of our clients come to us. Now, from, from the private sector, I would say a lot of them also come from uh, industries that face um, massive challenges. So mining is obvious one that has uh, anything from the environmental, the uh, the engineering, the, um, the the even the market. There are so many challenges. Um, so um, this is kind of the um, this is kind of the um, uh, clients that we that we always engage in are clients that really have those kind of like we call it the big problems clients clients that have big problems um, and we're always happy to uh, to engage with them yeah that's terrific that's terrific so or I, I guess we're really out of time but is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we say goodbye well I would just uh, if I have any recommendation um, my main recommendation I'm a big movie fan is mm. that if you really want to uh, kind of um, understand about um, uh, about crowdsourcing and how it works and the potential it has. Uh, there was um, there was the movie about the guy stuck in Mars. Um, if, if you recall, um, what was the name of the actor? Um, I think it was Matt Damon, and he was yeah. stuck in Mars. Yeah. So this is really nice kind of examples for crowdsourcing, how they use different crowdsourcing to solve different problems from generating uh, energy in where he's where he is uh, to producing food and producing water and all the way about him getting back to to earth and there are different crowdsourcing elements in every one of those uh, in the movie in various scenes so this is one 
written. And the second one, which uh, I mean, you, I, I think uh, probably you, you, you heard me talking about in one of the exercises, um, I recommend people to watch Moneyball. Um, yeah. Just because it's such a fascinating movie. Mm-hmm. And I recommend it to watch it with the word disruption in mind, just because it's such a fascinating movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a really good performances in that movie as well. Yeah, Brad Pitt, only good performance. I'm not a mm. big Brad Pitt <laughs> But, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'll give him credit for that one. He, he yeah. was good in that one. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. Well, Martin, I, uh, I'll let you go, and I really appreciate your your help, your conversation, and the information that you've shared with us, and hopefully you find a couple of people reaching out to you to sign up to uh, participate as an expert. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, please stay healthy. Same here. Same here to you. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.